Boom. <laughs> I don't know how to start this one. Well, Cars. <laughs> Welcome to movie culture. Today, we are talking about Cars. Cars was released in 2006. It's Pixar's seventh feature film, and the movie was directed by John Lasseter. If it's been a minute since you've seen the movie, here's a quick synopsis. And if you have seen it, we will put timestamps in the show notes so you can skip to the discussion. The movie follows race car Lightning McQueen. After the final race of the Piston Cup season ended in a three-way tie, a tiebreaker championship is scheduled for a week later across the country, with the winner destined for fame and fortune. On the drive there, McQueen falls out of his trailer and ends up racing through the town of Radiator Springs on Route 66. He destroys the town's main road and is arrested and sentenced with community service. He has to fix the road in order to leave the town. With the big race only a few days away, McQueen fixes the road and becomes friends with the quiet town's residents. He's let go and makes it to California in time for the race. He leads the race in the final lap and closes in on the finish line, but when another car crashes, he helps, instead of winning for himself. While the race is lost, fame and fortune follow regardless, which he shares with his new friends. Cars. We've been waiting for this for a while. We've known that we will have opinions. Reviews for Pixar movies, all of them are so positive. And Cars, the whole Cars franchise, is generally regarded as much worse. So we knew we'd have some critiques also. But I, I'm i not sure. I'm having some odd feelings, and I want you to help me work through them. Is that okay? Oh, that sounds so fun. Okay, because here's the thing. I think I liked this movie. I didn't like the characters, and I didn't like the theme, and I have some pretty fundamental problems with the ideas this movie was espousing, and I thought the dialogue was bad, and I don't know what I liked about it, except for maybe the vistas of the American West, which I thought were absolutely delightful. I enjoyed those a lot. But despite all of these really fundamental critiques, I had a pretty good time watching. Great review. Liked it, but why? To me, that is honestly the reason why we're here. Mm -hmm. What makes us enjoy movies? If we did, I did. I don't think you did, right? I didn't like this, no. Okay. (laughs) I wanted to. I wanted to like it, but yeah, for, for all the reasons you said. Okay. So maybe over the course of this conversation, we can try and figure out why I liked it. Why you liked it and why I didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know where to start because... I wish we, you know, we generally start with this list of all these things we find charming or funny or enjoyable. And that was really lacking for me here. So let's start with worlds, because I feel like what we usually like in the movie is the world building and how they set everything up. Yeah. I mean, this world is cars. Yeah. I mean, the premise is that cars are our people. So that, I think, is one of the most interesting things that I noticed Mm -hmm. is that people do not exist in this world. Yeah. And it's the first Pixar movie that we've seen so far where humans don't exist. This is an entirely separate world than the one that we know. Oh, that's really interesting. 
that the rest of them are not about humans, but about items, objects, beings that are adjacent to humans. And the other ones, because it is sort of set in our world, it has Mm -hmm. this whimsical feeling, this what if feeling Mm -hmm. that kind of sparks imagination. I mean, we know that toys don't come to life when we leave the room, but what if? Yeah. We know that there's not monsters in our closet, but what if? So because it isn't a world that exists with our own world, maybe it doesn't feel as fun and whimsical. Yeah, it doesn't spark imagination in the same way. I think it's also weird because it is so set in the world that we're familiar with just without Mm -hmm. us that it actually doesn't feel abstracted in the same way. I mean, I was was trying to compare it in my head because I was thinking maybe I just don't like cars and that's why I'm Mm -hmm. not emotionally attached. But I don't like bugs. And I was much more emotionally invested in that movie. Mm Mm-hmm. And we talked about bugs specifically about how they are very careful to stay in the bug world separate from the human world. Because mm-hmm. once you are in the human world as well, you you start to detach from the bug world because you are immediately relating to the things that are familiar to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so much of the problem that cars has because cars, highways, pit stops, All of those things are so familiar to us. The specific problem of federal interstates cutting out Route 66 and the small towns that relied on Route 66 traffic is a real world problem. Route 66 is the mother road in America. It goes from Chicago to Los Angeles. And there are all these small towns along Route 66 that have legitimately had their commerce that kept them alive dry up because of interstates. This is a real issue in the American economy over the past 50 years, and one that's really hurt small towns in middle America. Right. And I think that that is so interesting because the movie really is making that point that it's a problem. But there's a real dissonance in the movie talking about how bad it is that there's this highway that's Mm -hmm. cutting through Route 66, but also that's specifically cutting through nature. I mean, they they say at one point how sad it is that this view is obstructed by the highway. And yeah. it's just so weird to be watching the movie say that when this movie is about cars. It is not the level of thoughtfulness that I think we expect from Pixar. Just that, that this is a movie about the cars that cause the interstate in our real world. But the movie doesn't understand how those things are related. You know, the rest of the movies really well imagine what the hypothetical world they're envisioning would be like and how it would differ from ours. And this movie made some shallow changes. You know, I found it pretty nice and charming that instead of a town diner, they have a gas station. And instead of a tattoo parlor, I guess, there's a place for cars to get painted and there's a tire shop. And and I like that the cars themselves have different personalities based on the make and model, right? I like that the hippie car is a VW Bug and the military car is a Jeep. But all of that's pretty surface level stuff. I feel like it's what you would get if you asked how to personify cars in a half hour of work, not the level of thoughtfulness we usually expect from Pixar. And that's not even going into how does anything work in this world. That is a question. (laughs) Tay, cars don't have hands. But they're always, like, picking things up. 
with their tire. It makes no sense. Why? Why is this happening in this movie? I'm so, I'm so confused. Okay, so were there specific points in the movie where this really bothered you? I don't know. Was there an instance that bugged you? There was one, and it's when they're refilling their gas. The movie kind of just cuts away whenever they would have to use hands, uh-huh. and then there's gas there. But I was actually impressed that I only really noticed it one time. Because they made a movie about characters that don't have hands. Yeah. And it feels like it should be even more jarring than it really is. Which is only a little jarring at certain points. Yeah. How they find motor skills are so important for the human construction of society. But it's not humans. It's cards. But they live in human society. The buildings they live (laughs) in are gas stations and firehouses and like... They're constructed by beings that must have had hands. Yeah, at one point towards the end of the movie when Lightning McQueen is kind of making amends with this town that he's been Mm -hmm. totally awful to, it's implied that he has fixed all of their neon signs. And not only is this totally baffling about how he would do this, like when? Because this whole day he's so busy getting fixed up for the race and then all of a sudden at the end they're like, oh, he fixed the lights. And it's just so clear that they were like, well, this doesn't make sense, but that's fine. Wires are really small. <laughs> okay, we can move off of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might be a little bit stuck on this. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little stuck on this. But the thing is, Pixar never makes movies about humans. They always make movies about other worlds. And they figure out how to make it work in those other worlds. And they don't hear. And it's not because it's impossible. It's because... I think they did not care enough to do so. Yeah, that is kind of the feeling that they were just either no one's going to notice this or it's not going to matter. It's it's fine. We don't need to worry about it. Yeah, I do think in some ways this is not just about the animation, the basic creativity. This also extends into the craft of the movie. I think the craft of this movie, it seems much worse than the rest of the Pixar movies. Yeah, I, I think that is true. And I think that it, the world's building, like you're saying, it extends into a major problem of this movie, which mm-hmm. is Lightning McQueen's character arc. I think that the biggest problem I had, well, the biggest problem I had is this character is deeply unlikable. Yeah. He, he starts off just being a jerk to everybody. He, he says, I'm a one-man show. He's not interested in having any help. He's flat out rude to anybody he thinks is beneath him, which seems to be everybody. Yeah. This lasts for at least half the movie. The thing is, you can have an unlikable main character. You just have to understand why they're unlikable and what their motivation is. Lightning McQueen, his motivation for the entire first half, at least, of the movie is he wants to win this race. And his reason for wanting to win the race is fame and money in the form of sponsorships. Yeah. That is fine for a surface level reason, but we don't really get the sense that there is a deeper emotional reason that he needs to win. What does this race mean to him emotionally? Mm -hmm. And what fulfillment is he trying to get from winning this race? Yeah. 
I think the reason that we don't know this is we don't know anything about his backstory to the point where he may not have a backstory at all. Because it's very unclear if cars have childhoods, if they have families. I guess it would make sense if they just came out of the manufacturer fully formed and he was just a race car from day one. I don't know. Yeah, are race cars born or are all cars born in their prime and then they get older? Right. I mean, we don't see children. We see a couple little cars that seem to be kids as fans on the racetrack. But do those little cars turn into bigger cars? Do those little cars have parents? Right. I mean, these are real questions and it's really hard to understand our character if he has no history. What Mm -hmm. makes him who he is? Why has he gotten to this point of being such a horrible person slash car to everybody? Where does he come from? I mean... At the end of the movie, Doc asks him, when was the last time you cared about anyone but yourself? And he can't answer. And so I don't know if the answer is never. Mm -hmm. Because if he came out of the box just the way that he is, it's really hard to root for this character and to understand where these flaws are coming from and Mm -hmm. to understand what he needs to get in order to fix this. Yeah. Because we don't know what he's looking for. And there's a hint in the beginning that I mean, he has no friends and he seems kind of sad about that. Yeah, he's a little lonely. But there's not a lot to hang on to. One thing that gave me a lot of trouble with Lightning McQueen's arc is that he doesn't learn anything over the course of the movie. Yeah. He he has certain ideas of what gives people value. Specifically for men, it is athleticism. And for women, it is attractiveness. At the beginning Mm -hmm. of the movie, that's what he thinks gives cars value. And he ends up in this small town and he meets an attractive car, an attractive girl car. And then he meets a fast car in this small town. And he gains respect for these other cars, not because he has reevaluated what values he thinks are important, He just realizes that he can find those attributes in unexpected places. And that's maybe a nice hat tip that there are good people everywhere. That's great. But this is not about there are good people everywhere. It's about there are attractive women and strong men everywhere. And at no point does he care for anyone else in the town for themselves. Does he see value in them aside from the things he has already deemed valuable? Yeah, I think that's true. The movie tries to have certain beats that you would expect in a character arc, but they kind of fall flat because I think what you're saying is true. Like, he's not actually learning. Mm -hmm. In the midpoint of the movie, Mater asks McQueen, why is this race so important? And I'm watching it thinking that finally we're going to get some backstory. Yeah. But he just repeats the same thing, fame and money. Mater tells him that he's Mater's best friend and that's sort of a beat but not really because McQueen kind of brushes him off. And for what it's worth, he only sees Mater's value because again, Mater's good at driving. He's good at Mm -hmm. driving backwards. It's a little different and quirky. But it's still the same attribute that he's cared about before. Right. And it's it's one that specifically helps him. Yeah. It's also right after that scene, McQueen has a conversation with Sally where she's calling him out for not 
actually caring about Mater and the rest of the town. And McQueen thanks Sally for her help. It seems to be the first time that Lightning McQueen has ever in his life said thank you. So um, the, the bar is low for his character. <laughs> but it's a little bit flat, I think, because we don't really understand in this moment why Lightning McQueen is thanking Sally. What about what she's saying gets through to him? Uh-huh. How does she reach him? Because we don't know what the root of his flaws are, we have no way of knowing how a character is supposed to reach those roots in order to make change. Yeah. So it is a very surface level beat where it's nice that he's finally saying thank you, but it doesn't actually feel like a fundamental change. What do you think about the end of the movie then? Because the movie ends with him able to win the final race and deciding not to basically so he can help uh, Uh, The king, who is, you know, the old race car who reminds him of Doc Hudson, his mentor, I guess. He helps someone instead of winning the race for personal gain. I'm excited right now because finally we get to talk about something I liked about the movie. Yeah. I really liked the ending. Yeah. Yeah. I was genuinely surprised because I did not remember much of this movie, so I didn't remember how Mm -hmm. it ended. I was surprised and really glad that he didn't just win. I liked the resonance of the parallel between King's crash and Doc's crash. It was a little on the nose, It was, but it worked. It was very on the nose, but yes, I liked that. I think it worked for two reasons. First, the reason that the rest of the movie felt lacking, which is that finally we had context for something. So we don't understand anything about McQueen's life previously or where he's coming from. So it's hard to map any beats onto character growth. But in this last scene, we finally do understand how he is seeing a scene and where Mm. he's coming from. Yeah. So it feels more resonant. I also think it worked because I would really like that if I was watching a sporting event. I, I think like beyond the story of it, it's just... Like, if you're a viewer watching a race or any kind of sports thing, that Mm -hmm. is the kind of action that we as viewers like to see in sports. It's very heartwarming automatically. Yeah. I mean, as you know, I'm a pretty big advocate for putting narratives onto sports and finding meaning in sports through those narratives. Mm -hmm. And definitely one of the strongest sports narratives are people doing the right thing in the midst of competition um, and those moments of humanity, those really, they last beyond the race. You know, the movie ends with Lightning McQueen losing and Chick, whatever his name is, winning. But this is one of those times where it feels like you will remember this as the race that Lightning McQueen pushed the king across the finish lines. You'll remember this as the king's last race. You won't really remember who won in the like thinking about this as a historical sports moment as opposed to you know a one-time fictional race in a movie right it is also the only time i believe in the movie where lightning mcqueen does something for someone else at all before he leaves the town he does a nice thing for everyone in the town no 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 okay i have a problem with this whole plot point they act like He's helped everybody, but actually everybody has helped him. He just goes to all the different people and they help him 
fix himself up. Wow, you are so right about this. And I'm, I'm like, did did he help them by giving them his money for paying for the services that mm-hmm. they provided? Yeah, like he bought tires from a tire store. Yeah. He's not helping the tire store. Right. That's a very great point. He's a very, very wealthy individual who goes to a small town and buys things from the business, and they thank him. Yeah. In a movie about how there's more to life than money, Mm -hmm. it feels a little off that that is the main way that he helps is through buying things from them. Can I pitch something to you as a little bit of a Pixar fixer sort of Mm -hmm. thing? Yeah, go ahead. At the beginning of the movie, Lightning McQueen is told that he gets 20 tickets to the final race and he can invite his friends and he can't think of any friends because he's all alone. And then he ends up making friends. Great. What if instead he calls his friends like the other good, like the other race cars he came up with, the the people he thinks are his friends mm. and they say, I can't make it. He calls his agent. The agent says, I can't come. And then you show the people in the small town not just interact in a nice way, but really show up for each other and yes. be there and support each other. And that would show... The contrast. Mm-hmm. And what exactly he's missing and craving and that they have it. As opposed to like, Lightning McQueen is happy but lonely. And at the end of the movie, he has figured out how to be near people without changing anything about himself. Yes. No, I love what you're saying. And it's what I'm saying about how it can't just be that he wants fame and money. He has yeah. to want something emotionally. And it's just a really simple understanding of he wants community. Yeah. It did seem like I don't understand why they didn't put something like that in there. And in order for him to want community, he needs to understand the benefits of community. As opposed to, he doesn't want to be alone, but why doesn't he want to be alone? It seems like he's alone by choice. Right. I mean, he's specifically saying he's a one-man show and he doesn't need anybody. And there's not an indication that he's really lying. That just seems to be how he feels. Yeah. But if we were to understand that the reason he wants to win is because he thinks that that will make people like him. And yeah. then we see that he learns that the way to make people like him is to be nice to people and not to treat them terribly. I mean, that is that's an art. I think I'm co- starting to come around on why I enjoyed this movie, because I think it's easy to put stuff like that onto it, even though it doesn't mm. say it explicitly. It's easy for me to say, yeah, being lonely is bad. I wouldn't want that. And I understand, you know, wanting someone to like me or feeling like success doesn't come attached to being beloved. I'm not saying that that's how I feel personally, but those are emotional beats that I can understand. So I might be putting that onto the movie, which makes it a deeper movie than it really is if you're bringing your own context to it. That's interesting. So I kind of talked about what I thought the movie was saying. I'm wondering if you have more to say about what you thought the theme was. I think that what the movie is trying to say in the most simplest form is slow down. Mm -hmm. And I have kind of a question that is partially tongue-in-cheek, but also kind of serious. Yeah. So I felt like the pacing of this movie was really slow. Did you feel that? Yeah. One thing I noticed 
especially in comparison to the other Pixar movies, is the other ones get into the plot so quickly. They're just like, Nemo gets taken by the boat immediately. Buzz Lightyear shows up right away. Flick destroys the food right away. Boo shows up right away. Lightning McQueen doesn't appear in Radiator Springs for like 40 minutes. Yeah, quarter more. Yeah, it, it was very slow. I enjoyed the leisureliness of it, but it, it dragged. Well, that was kind of my question. So I think that I have some understanding of why it dragged from mm -hmm. a craft perspective. I think that from the quarter mark to the 50% mark, they continuously hit the same exact beat over and over again, which is trying to leave and not being able to leave. Yeah. And then he, he tries to leave and he's not able to leave. That happens four times. And mm -hmm. he's never learning something new. The stakes aren't escalating. It's kind of just the same thing in a loop. Yeah. So I think that that feels very slow. But I also think, and I think that this is separate, there seem to be a lot of moments that are intentionally slow. And my question is, do you think that they are doing that on purpose? Like if it's some kind of meta commentary on slow down in the watching of it. I mean, this movie says so many times, slow down, don't rush through things. Oh, and then so they, have, they have these very long montages about driving through trees. Yes and no. I think that the montages are absolutely intentional. And I actually, I'm a big fan of montages. I know you are not as much. I really like those. And I think those are intentional to give beats in the movie and places to relax and catch your breath before you get on with the story. I do think that's intentional based on this broader theme. Do I think that the general dragging of the plot, like you were saying, is intentional? No, I don't think that is. Okay, yeah, I don't think that's intentional. I think it's interesting to see a movie whose theme really matches a lot of what they're doing with the structure. Yeah. And again, <laughs> the montages, it's just a lot, especially the montage with Sally and Lightning McQueen driving through the woods. They're just like flirting by flicking leaves at each other <laughs> and then like laughing in the weirdest way. Like, ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. I just... Uh, it's the fakest laugh. And they keep doing it. Here's the thing, Tay. The montages are the best part of the movie. I mean, the soundtrack is really good. The soundtrack is fine. <laughs> you liked the actual montages. Like the... The visual. Yes, I like the visuals of the... Ugh. I like the visuals of the montages. Okay, Honestly, the first montage is literally just highways the whole time. It's just him driving on a highway and then he's like it's on the, a different It's the Great highway. American Road Trip. <laughs> okay. I'm surprised that you like this because you are much more anti-driving than me. Oh, I didn't like that part of it. But I did like the great American scenery. How wonderful. Okay. Okay. You really made a mistake by growing up in the most beautiful place in the world because it makes it very hard for you to appreciate the lesser beauty of other places. No, 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 no. It's not that I didn't think that it was nice. Like, mm -hmm. the animation's nice. It's just that... There were three montages. It's a lot. They're just driving. Nothing else is happening. Okay, but imagine those montages are like David Attenborough Life on Our Planet, which are just very beautiful screenshots of like frogs jumping in slow motion. 
Like nothing happens in those, but they're lovely and beautiful. And that's just what these montages were. They were just very nice, beautiful animated pictures, as opposed to cars not having hands, which was the rest of the movie. (laughs) Hands or emotional arcs. Yeah. So it seems like you liked this movie because you liked the montages. I mean, I did like the montages. I think a little bit because of the way it looked, a little bit because of the sports movie stuff, a little bit because of the emotional stuff I brought to it, and I think partially a nostalgia for it. You know, this came out when we were 11 or so, so Mm -hmm. we were right in the age range to see it. And you saw this movie a lot. Yeah. Shout out to my best friend in seventh grade. He burned me a CD of like seven movies. This sounds um, totally illegal. It was, yeah, they were all illegally downloaded. Oh my God. <laughs> um, he burned me this disc and I just watched those seven movies on a laptop and one of them was Cars. So I have heavy nostalgia for this movie. We started talking about Sally a little bit. Can we keep talking about her? Because this was, uh, I'm just going to say it, Tay. Why'd they give a car a tramp stamp? <laughs> this is the uh, Pixar sexism segment of the podcast. Why do they keep doing this i know okay the thing about the sexism in this movie and sally's character is that i don't know that i have anything interesting to say it feels like if you watch the movie it's pretty evident Mm -hmm. lightning mcqueen when he first meets her is pretty terribly sexist to her and i yeah look they're trying to make him unlikable i they go way too far i think but can i ask you a question there Mm -hmm. the creative lead of this movie is john laster That's not in a question form. I suppose it's not a question at all. The creative lead of this movie is John Laster. He's been ousted from Pixar for, among other things, sexual harassment. Right. Lightning McQueen's harassment of Sally when they first meet, you know, yes, it's well, he's supposed to be unlikable, but he's supposed to be, like, unlikable in kind of a fun, charming way, I guess. I think he's supposed to be genuinely unlikable, but I was surprised by how bad it was when he first meets her. I don't think they noticed how unlikable that particular thing yes. was. Yeah. Yeah. It it really stands out. I mean, maybe we'll just try to find a clip because I feel like it speaks for itself in how bad it is. Yeah. Hey, thanks for coming, but we're all set. He's letting me go. He's letting you go? Yeah, your job's pretty easy today. All you have to do now is stand there and let me look at you. Listen, I'm going to cut to the chase. Me, you, dinner. What the? Ow! Please! I know, I get that reaction a lot. I create feelings in others that they themselves don't understand. Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. Did I scare you? And then, you know, Sally... Sally seems fine as a character, but the movie doesn't really treat her all that well even at the end of the movie when all of the small town gang comes to help him Mm -hmm. to help lightning mcqueen in the what is it the pit stop yeah sally's not there for some reason she has to stay at home and watch on tv and then there's like some of the random side characters that aren't helping at all that are just like like the stoned vw is just in the pit stop And meanwhile, Sally's like waving a little flag at home. It's very. It's it's a confusing choice because she is does seem to have quite a significant role. And then it's odd that she's not there. Yeah. That's all I really have to say about that. 
What other critiques do you have of things this movie did that were kind of confusing or off-putting? It's very strange in a way that their main theme was to slow down Mm -hmm. in a movie about cars. It just feels to be this inherent conflict. Maybe they thought they were being clever. I just don't think that's right. (laughs) Because they flash back to the time when things were simpler. And Mm -hmm. it just seems like the time when cars were older and couldn't go as fast. Yeah. But really, I want to hear about how you feel about Cars in general, because I know that you've just been waiting this whole time to have a whole car tangent. So I'm just going to set you free. Okay. When I said at the beginning that I found parts of this movie charming, but didn't like the ethos of the movie, that is that this movie is about cars and cars are bad. I'm not saying the movie. I kind of like the movie. Cars, the vehicle are bad. First of all, cars are causing the climate crisis. We should just fully admit that 40% of all carbon emissions are from cars. Everything else, all the businesses, all the smokestacks, all of that, that's also bad. We should also stop this. But again, 40% are from cars. I just don't quite know how to articulate that the only way we save our planet is by stopping our use of personal vehicles. It is the only way that human life on this planet continues past the next 200 years. Yeah. And I mean, you said at one point that this is like a love letter to small town America, but really it's a love letter to cars. It is just romanticizing cars. Cars have never seemed cooler than this movie. And, you know, you can get the toy cars. I'm sure I had the toy cars. And you get to see all these cool cars and think about the cool things they do and think about the cool tires and cars get makeovers and cars can, you know, drive really fast and do cool things. And they're so great in this movie. And even I, feeling this way, was dragged into being like, oh, cars are cool. There is romance to cars that we have put on as a society. And this movie celebrates it as cars are literally choking our planet. Yeah. I mean, like you were saying, the romanticism of the American road trip. Yeah, exactly. The second issue I have is that cars cause wars. The past 30 years of wars in the Middle East have been the subject of cars. That's the reason we were in Afghanistan. That's the reason we were in Iraq. That's the whole thing over this part of the world is over oil. Mm -hmm. And we need oil to run cars. And we need cars because we have planned our society around cars. For the vast majority of human history, we lived in small cities and towns where people could walk to whatever they needed to get. When you think about Main Street America, that is what made Main Street America so good, is people being able to walk there from living close by. The death of Main Street America, including Radiator Springs, is not just these highways, these interstates, but also the suburbs, pieces of land that exist because we have cars. And we have designed our whole society so that to get anything, to get groceries, to get to work, to go to school, you have to drive. We've created a world that is so overly reliant on cars that We need oil. And in order for people to not go into great amounts of poverty, we need oil to be cheap. And we have 
gone into 30 years of wars, at least, to secure cheap oil. And we have killed millions of people because of a society that is overly reliant on cars. Yeah. Thing the third. America is fundamentally racist. It was built off racist practices. This is a country whose wealth was based off race slavery. And that racism has been renewed and upheld in this country after slavery through Jim Crow and through segregation and other ways that white people have been able to build wealth while black people have not been able to build wealth. The thing about cities is you put a lot of people together. They're inherently dense. Still segregated. And we have a lot of segregation in cities, for sure. But not nearly so much segregation as we have in the suburbs. And those suburbs are created specifically for white people to get away from black people. That's what white flight is. It's white people being able to drive away and to build wealth in areas where only they are and leave black people and other people of color and other poor white people into the center of cities without infrastructure. Cars make that possible. Without cars, you don't have the expansion into the suburbs. You don't have redlining. You don't have exclusionary zoning practices, at least not in the same way. You still get the discrimination and the segregation that we have in cities, but not the immense ways that People in suburbs have been able to grow their wealth, while people in cities, especially in the 70s and 80s, were not able to. So when we think about the racial wealth gap in this country, part of that is because of white flight and the move to the suburbs by white people, and that was done by cars. You're right. And finally, cars foster an individualist attitude that you should be responsible for yourself and that you are responsible for yourself and getting around in a way that suits you. Mostly, you just don't have to think about how your actions impact anyone else's and you don't have to confront other people so easily. If you take the bus, you have to see other people. You have to sit next to other people. You have to bump up against other people. I know that there are some people, Elon Musk included, who say that's precisely why you like cars. I understand that, you know, like I've ridden on enough crowded New York subways to last a lifetime. But thinking that you are fully responsible for your own way to get around makes you less empathetic towards other people because you are not confronted. You don't have these small interactions with your fellow humans. You're just stuck in your own own world thinking about what's best for you. Would you say that it makes you feel like you are a one-man show? I mean, that's that's the real way to circle back. Mm. Wow. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe Lightning McQueen doesn't actually need a childhood and backstory and anything. It's just enough to be like, he is car. Yeah. It makes sense to me that a car would feel like they're the most important thing in the world. And I'll just say the final, the final thing. Mm -hmm. And to me, this is the most fundamental thing of all. With all these negative impacts that cars have had on society, again, the wars, the racism, the climate crisis, the 
individualist attitudes. There has to be some benefit. And I think people would say, yeah, but I like cars. My car makes me happy. I enjoy it. But the thing is, that's not what the data shows. The data shows that people who commute by car are less happy than people who don't. And the data also shows, and I'm talking about surveys, serious big surveys about well-being and the things that are most attached to how you perceive your life, how satisfied you are with your life. After everything about health and personal safety, the number one factor, the thing most correlated with having a happy, fulfilling life is the length of your commute. Mm -hmm. And the less time you spend in your car, the happier you are. Is it is it length of commute? Like, is it equally bad if you have a really long train ride? No. So it's not equally bad. Okay. And part of that, part of that is is general length. And part of it is that if you're on the train, you have all these micro interactions with other humans that we know are so necessary towards social fulfillment. So yeah. part of it, part of it is the length and part of it's being contained. But a lot of it is just the specific car, especially because you have to focus in the car. If you're on the train, you can read, you can listen to music, you can do all this stuff in the car. You just get angrier and angrier for being in traffic. Mm -hmm. First, I understand that I'm coming in really hot here. And this feels like such an outrageous, like, how can you say cars are bad? Cars are so fundamental to our society. Like, oh my God, I understand that I sound a little crazy. I do. And I got to say, when I first had this take, it was pretty hot. Oh and yeah. I, I was like, Josh, no. But now I've just, I am numb to it. I... <laughs> No, I, I, I agree. I think you make really good points. And I've let this take simmer now for a few years and build off itself. And, you know, I just, I think cars are really bad. And I want to say I understand the role that Henry Ford and the American manu auto manufacturing system has had and the way that we have been able to so much more efficiently move goods around, move services around, expand our bubbles. I think all of that is valuable. I'm I'm obviously not saying like if cars had never existed, if no one had ever invented cars and we didn't have anything similar to cars, we would never have eaten things that grew outside of a 50 mile radius away from where we lived. Probably less than that. I grew up in the Northeast I don't think I ever would have had a lemon if it weren't for cars. I'm not saying that there isn't some amount of value to them. I am saying, though, in the current moment, they do an incredible amount of bad things. And these things cause not only despair, but also death and will continue to cause more death. And we first absolutely, absolutely, absolutely need to move towards an entirely electrical fleet. But really, we need to move away from personal vehicles as fast as humanly possible. And movies like Cars, to circle back, 
prevent that because they just reinforce the idea that cars are cool and they're not cool. They're killing people. Mm -hmm. Also from a personal danger standpoint, I was noticing there's a lot of scenes in the movie. (laughs) I mean, it's very dangerous driving, Mm -hmm. but specifically on the highway when Lightning McQueen forces his driver to drive and he's falling asleep. Yeah. And it's this big truck and he's falling asleep on the road. And then Lightning falls out of the car. He's driving in the wrong direction. I mean, it was very hard not to have a kind of visceral reaction to just how dangerous that was. Yeah. And I do feel like not only does this movie really make cars seem cool, but it really downplays how dangerous it is because there are all these really dangerous driving moments. Mm -hmm. And even when there's car crashes, the cars, with the exception of the king car at the end and Doc in a flashback, Mm -hmm. they don't have visible damage. Yeah. They don't seem to have any lasting pain. Lightning McQueen never even gets scratched. And he crashes all the time. Yeah. I just wish that Pixar had not made a movie about cars. Three movies about cars. Oh, my God. And this is the one people liked most of them. Yeah. I enjoyed this movie. I think there are structural problems that make it not as enjoyable as other movies that we've watched. And I think there are these real ethos problems that, for me, made it really hard to buy in. But you know what? I had I did have a good time watching. And yeah. and even more than that, I had a good time talking about this with you because to me it is really fun to get into a movie, into the nitty-gritty and talk about why we didn't like it. And look, I'm happy to shoot my shot on the automotive industry. <laughs> I'm coming for you. Well, Josh, to close out this Cars podcast, Will you please explain why John Lasseter said that these cars couldn't open their doors? Oh, you know, I will. First, I'm going to say thank you for listening. Follow us on Twitter. Remember to subscribe. (laughs) Okay, so I read an interview with John Lasseter and some of the other producers behind cars in research, I guess, for this. I don't really know why. And I was thinking about, you know, what are the cars like? What are their bodies? How do they work? Because I'm curious about, you know, what about the car's hands? What about all these, you know, are the tires their feet? If they are, why do they change their tires? Are they changing their feet? Like, how does this really work? But at some point, either John Lasseter or one of the other producers said, it's a good thing the cars never open their doors. Because the thing is, the cars are beings And in the cars, well, that's where their organs are. That's where their digestive system is. That's where their lungs are. That's where the brain is. And if you open the door, all of that stuff would just come sliding out. (laughs) And that got into my head. So I put it in Tay's head. And now it's in your head. And you can't unsee it. It's horrifying. Again, thanks for listening. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening. If you liked this podcast, subscribe, and we will see you next week for Ratatouille.